Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 10 of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. We're already halfway through the season. I'm Ryan Wolt, and this is the show where I bring you the stories of coffee professionals, entrepreneurship, and coffee education. Today is another Coffee Smarter episode featuring Alden Hazuri. He is the founder and head roaster of Crossings Coffee Roasters and the operator of Cafe La Terre in Southern California. He also consults for coffee startups, and you can find him on Instagram at Crossings Coffee. I love chatting with Alden both on and off the show because he is always taking into account the business side of his passion for coffee, as well as his desire to help people enjoy their coffee as much as possible. It gives him a unique perspective, which makes it hard for me to ask him to focus on just one side or the other. So I don't. Today we're going to talk about some of the equipment used to make a cup of coffee, such as the grinder, scales, water kettle, or espresso machine, and what you might want to consider before purchasing for either a commercial business or just for at home. My ask is a selfish one, as I'm in the market for some upgrades to my own setup. I can let you know that since this chat, I have upgraded to a gooseneck water kettle, and I'm going to use it right now to brew up a pour-over cup of coffee. And you might want to brew a cup of coffee while you're listening today too, so that you can be assessing your own coffee gear while we're all getting coffee smarter with Alden Hazuri of Crossings Coffee Roasters and Cafe La Terre on this episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. And welcome back to the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I always wonder if people wonder what we talk about before the show comes on. I'm guessing that they don't care that much. But in case you were, what we were talking about was our last episode. And uh, Alden was telling us about consistency and keeping coffee consistent uh, flavor profiles for the customers. That's something that has been expected of the Cafe La Terre locations that he's operating. So Alden, my question for you today to start, uh, which I didn't really prepare you for, is I've noticed a lot of coffee shops that are known for consistency or that are seeking that same end goal instead of constantly rotating through new single origins. They offer generally offer a house blend of coffee. You know, it's a, a mixture of different beans which I would presume is because then they can control the flavor profile over time. So if the if they're blending together 10% of bean A and 90% of bean B, and then bean B's, you know, this particular batch tastes differently, they can adjust how much they put in and out to get that same flavor profile. Am I, uh, am I mistaking on that? Is that a technique that you would use as a roaster? Is that something you've done? Any, any thoughts on just that as a way to achieve consistency for your customers? Yeah, I, I've never really been into blending. I absolutely appreciate a good blend. Um, and I'm not going to lie. I think I fall victim to like the trap of like the single origin. You know, there's something exclusive and special and, oh my gosh, there's nothing hiding. You, know, you can't hide behind a single origin. What you see is what you get. And, uh, you know, if it's delivered perfectly, it's like a serenaded success. And that's also a lot of pressure for people who really try to ride the single origin train. Um, and as for blends, you know, I think that's definitely a terrific way to run your menu. If that's something you choose, you can and probably do have much better control over the flavor profile of what you're serving. And 
I kind of look at things from a step back and look at how much work am I creating for the experience I'm trying to cultivate. And I think with blends, it does require a little bit more work in like the middle and end of the process. And, and bear with me, I'll, I'll come full circle here. But for me, I try to keep the same flavor profile or same flavor experience throughout the year, even though my coffees might change quarterly. And the way I'm able to do that is by sourcing or sampling a lot more coffees on the front end, looking at the terroir, looking at the region, looking at the varietal of the beans. And typically I've actually had pretty good success with being like, okay, even though this is from a different farm, even though this is from like the next mountain over, the varietals are close enough. The way that it was processed and the altitude it was grown at were similar. I know that the soil type was more or less the same. And oftentimes with enough different samples, I'll find a coffee that is close enough or resembles the coffee that I had maybe last quarter. And uh, so it's a little bit more work on the front end, but then I can roast it, you know, and maybe change my roast profile a little bit to, to get it to match what I'm seeking in the end product. And then during the entire middle time, when I'm working through the stash that I purchased, I don't have to think about blends. I don't have to think about, oh, that one bag or the two bags of this one, you know, that's 10% of my blend here is going to run out. I need to find another coffee that matches that. It's less storage. It's a little simpler in the during phase. And then I can start that process again in the end. Whereas with blends, you know, if I'm going to try to create a certain blend, I might be mixing two, three, four different coffees. And that's just two, three, four more different coffees that I have to manage and source and keep track of. And, oh, this one ran out. I have to reprofile that before blending it back in. And, oh, and now it tastes a little different. Why is that? So I think you do have a little bit more control with a blend over the flavor you're creating, but it does require a little bit more work in the during stage. Sure. It's a different type of efficiency. It is. Maybe suited a little bit more to a larger, a larger roasting scale as well, where you are have more team members and more people to kind of keep on, on managing that. And it's easier to pass that, pass that along. We started our conversation uh, last, last episode uh, talking about setting up a coffee bar efficiently and how you as a consultant and as an operator go into a space and kind of start to visualize things and lay it out. I want to talk a little bit about some of the equipment in that space in particular and very selfishly, because I'm looking for both of these items right now. I want to ask you what, what it is you're looking for in a scale and a kettle and maybe some other similar equipment. I'm thinking about grinders and, and water, you know, water towers and things like that. For me at home, you know, I might just be a, a person making coffee at home and I might order something off of Amazon or wherever I shouldn't. I shouldn't order off Amazon. I try to buy it locally from the local roaster as much as I can. But, but when you're looking for equipment like that, what are you looking for in terms of quality and knowing that it'll be efficient? And I'm thinking, I'm kind of stuck on this efficiency track this season, but I'm thinking about it in terms of you want something that one holds up, works the same way every time. And also you're not going to be replacing regularly and also provides, I mean, I'm just spitballing now I'm spiraling. Uh, I'm going to let you take the show. So let's start maybe with the scale uh, or the kettle and you choose and, and let me know what it is that you do when you're looking or what it is you're looking for when you're looking for products. Yeah, I guess I'd like to specify, are these products you're asking about for my home or in the shop? Cause I can give you two different answers. Let's, let's hear them both. I got time. I don't know about you, okay. but <laughs> why don't we start with the shop and then we can transition into how that's different for what you might be doing at home. Beautiful. 
So with the shop, specifically with the shops that we talked about in the last episode, you know, efficiency is a big part. And one of the, I guess, ideologies that I try keeping in mind with Cafe Terre is, you know, quality over convenience, but not at the sake of convenience. I really want to be mindful that we're maintaining the experience and high quality product and high quality service experience, but that also people can come because they can come get a quick cup of coffee. It's not going to take seven minutes or 12 minutes or 15 minutes that some other shops are reported to have taken uh, to deliver a cup of coffee. And, that, you know, one doesn't cancel the other out. So I'm looking for equipment that can keep up, something that's robust. And with most commercial, you know, commercial grade espresso equipment and shop equipment, it's built for just that. You know, they're built like water towers. It's built to have hot water on tap just about all day. Some espresso machines, you know, this is where I think you can start getting into like murkier waters. Some uh, espresso machines might be more for the theatrics and the show. Others might be for more like just rugged performance and they lose a little bit of that show. So again, it's finding that balance in between what is the customer experience going to be looking like and what is the barista experience going to be looking like? You know, what kind, I don't want them, you know, fussing around with buttons and knobs, trying to pull a shot of espresso. I think automation, especially when you're working one person at a time is key, not automation so that you are so distanced from the product that you don't have as much touch and, you know, the artistic craftsman flair that I think people look for when they're going into a, a specialty coffee shop, but having enough automation that frees them up to go do something else while A is waiting. And so this task management is something that I, you know, I think we touched on a little bit in the last episode in the, the two week intensive training, um, but looking for opportunities to stack workflows together and equipment that facilitates that as well. So for example, one of the machines that I use in the Solana Beach shop um, for the espresso machine, it's a machine that has not only auto volumetric properties, meaning I can program exactly how much water I want to push through the puck, the espresso puck at a time. So that amount's going to be consistent. And in addition, it has a really cool feature called pressure profiling, which basically modulates, ramps up the pressure of, of uh, water being pushed through the puck over the course of the shot. That's not a necess necessary feature. It's just a nice to have, not a need to have. But I think the auto volumetric is something I would say is a need to have, you know, over a full manual machine, which requires the brisa to wait there and time the shot and end it. The beautiful thing about auto volumetrics is because I know exactly the temperature of the water being pushed through, because I know exactly how much coffee I dosed out into that puck, and because I know exactly the minerality of the water I'm pushing through, you know, I've, I've controlled all these different variables. The only thing that I can't control is time. So once I know I've dialed in a shot to what tastes, how I'm, I'm wanting it to taste, I know the time range that that shot needs to pull at for it to be a successful shot. If it pulls under or over, that's valuable information that tells me that something has changed. Something is off. Maybe the grind size, maybe the humidity in the atmosphere changed. Maybe a ray of sunlight has shone through the window and has been heating up the hoppers. And now the beans are all a little expanded and warmer. That affects the grind size. You know, so you'll see us constantly chasing the shot time throughout the entire day. But that's, you know, I think a really useful thing for, you know, our baristas to be aware of you know, knowing, okay, cool. Everything is just about set. The only thing I'm really responsible for is managing the grind size. That is one less thing that they have to worry about or chase after. You know, I think when you start looking at manual machines, there's a beautiful art in just being kind of like one with the machine and one with the shot, but it opens up so many more 
I guess, variables to consider. And that could take away from the customer experience, like engagement, you know, how's your day? What have you been up to? Oh, how was your appointment last week? Or, oh, it's good to see your dog. You know, these other important things, you know, I think when you come to a shop, it's, there's an intimate relationship we get to create with each person and each patron. So it's, it's a balance and there's no wrong or right balance. It's what are you trying to create in your own shop experience? And for, for me and for Cafe Terre, it's this particular balance. I want more of that engagement with the people that are coming to grace us with their presence and their money. So espresso machine, I'm looking for something, you know, as automated as possible, but not necessarily super automatic. Um, I'm looking for water towers that can keep up with producing enough hot water. If I'm doing Americano, Americano, Americano. For the coffee brewer itself, you know, I, I mentioned last last episode, you know, we don't do pour overs. We use a FETCO, which is basically kind of like an automated pour over. It's like your coffee maker at home, but on steroids. These are machines that I've used over the years and I trust them. And it's just an amazing machine that delivers a quality, consistent product. And, you know, consistency is a big part of what we're trying to chase after as well. How often are you doing maintenance on these things? Sorry, I interrupted you. You're going to say grinder, but you know, how important is that part of it, especially from a coffee uh, shop budget side of things? How do you build that in so that these hold up over the long haul when you're, you're really constantly hammering them repetitively in the shop? Yeah, great question. Um, I think a lot of it depends on the manufacturer as well. You know, not to fall into stereotypes that some manufacturers might be better built or have higher quality than others. But I do look at, you know, what is the repair going to look like? What do certain parts cost? You know, I can tell you that some Italian manufacturers, the jets that they use on their espresso machines are much smaller. So they tend to get clogged a little more easily. That could lead into more frequent repair trips from the espresso mechanic. If we don't do our, you know, cleaning every night, like we're supposed to, some other manufacturers might use different size jets. So they might be, you know, more easily manufactured. They might be cheaper to replace. Oh, but maybe there aren't as many technicians in the area that know how to service that kind of machine, you know, and, and that I'm, I'm making an assumption that's just like generalization, but these are the questions that I'd encourage you to ask yourself and in looking into, or even just reaching out to me. I'm happy to explore that with anyone, but looking at. You know, what does that cleaning schedule look like? And what do the repair visits look like? What do part replacement look like? Is this part even accessible or is it so obscure? I have to wait three weeks for it to be custom milled and shipped from Italy. You know, these are all things to take into consideration. Yeah, I, I think um, I try to budget, you know, a time for, you know, quarterly repairs, even if there's not necessarily anything wrong, you know, just to have someone kind of come look at the machines and make sure that everything, every nut is tightened and, Every, you know, everything that should be looked at is, is given a once over, kind of like a doctor's visit. Sure. It's like a, getting an oil change in your car. Everything seems to be running fine, but you do it anyway to extend the life of the car. And I would say many commercial espresso machines cost as much as a car at this point. Absolutely. Uh, certainly a used car, if not a, a new car. What about at home? Uh, like I'm looking to buy a new kettle at home and I've been reading a bunch of articles online that show me these fancy gooseneck uh, water kettles. The kettle I have now is just a glass kettle. I hit the button, it heats up the water and then I you know, pour it out of the regular old spout. What do you recommend for people uh, at home? So I would say this is kind of where I get to speak you know, my, my soapbox. Because for me, it's like there's a beautiful ritual in creating that cup for yourself. You know, what are the important touch points for you? Is it measuring? Is it smelling? Is it the visual appeal? Is it 
the timing of it, you know, what are the touch points that you want to focus, you know, and I, I think this word is for some reason feels a little taboo for me to say, but like, what's your pleasure? You know, like what brings you the most pleasure in, in, in that part of your routine and that part of your ritual, you know, for me personally, it's, it's, it's like the deep dive into the science. Like how do I get as granular with my experience that I'm trying to create as possible? What variables can I control to make this or heighten this experience in every which way? And depending on what you brew on at home, that might change. So for me, if you're going to be, if I'm going to be doing a, a pour over of some sort, a gooseneck is going to be advantageous because it gives you much better control over the flow of the water out of the kettle. Additionally, I would say things like temperature control are going to be really important. Some of the cheaper machines out there, they might give you, you know, buttons for, you know, 182, 194, 202, 210, 212. And even though that's, that's might be enticing to some people, thermal stability is actually really difficult. You know, you've got these positive and negative feedback systems built into the circuitry of the water kettle. And depending on the range that it's programmed to start the boiler up again or cut the boiler off, you're not actually getting the exact temperature reading on that button on some of these machines. Other machines, they might have more money invested into the, the fabrication of that instrument. And so you'll have a much tighter control. There are some uh, kettles out there that let you kind of control on a dial exactly the temperature you want. And in my experience, my field testing, I find that these machines tend to be a little bit more accurate with how hot or not hot the water I'm, I'm boiling is going to be. And sometimes they can be nicer to hold, nicer to touch, just nicer to look at. They look beautiful sitting on your counter. If that's important to you, that might be nice to have. You know, and then you look at things. Does that answer your question, by the way? It does. I think, I mean, obviously everyone's going to have different priorities. I think, you know, for me, a lot of the equipment that I use at home, uh, which has accumulated over the last several years, uh, but a lot of it I bought early on in, in my coffee journey, I wasn't ready to skip to that next level where I was spending more money or I was, I didn't know what I wanted. So I just kind of bought whatever worked, you know, whatever I felt comfortable using and then learn to work within that system. So like my water kettle doesn't have that same thermometer. It just boils the water. I bought a little thermometer and I'll check my water occasionally, or I'll make sure that I'm still kind of falling with those ranges. I don't do it every day because at home, it's not important to me necessarily every day. Uh, and I'm at a, an interesting point now where most of my equipment that I have is pretty worn out. Like I need to replace this stuff. I have a, a kind of a, just a cheap basic scale that I use to measure my grinds. My grinder is works fine for the most part, but it's definitely an entry level grinder and I'd like to improve it, especially as I've become, it's like, the, it's like a double-edged sword. I'm now better able to taste coffee. And so then I notice those differences more, uh, on what the equipment I have. If I would have never learned that Alden life would be peachy. I would have never thought about buying something more expensive or nicer. I'm glad that I did, but it's also, you know, now I'm dealing with this, uh, this very first world emotional problem. Yeah. You know, so I, I'm in that position now where I'm trying to decide, do I want to do this next level investment? Do I want to, which of these things matter more to me? You know, if I were, is it more important that I get the right kettle? Is it more important that I get the good grinder? Is it more important that I, you know, all those different things ultimately, yes, I sh you know, it's great to get all that stuff, but I think it's also more important to, 
to decide what kind of experience I want at home, which is kind of something you touched on uh, early on. And for me, when I'm at home, I like making the coffee and I like sitting in my chair and drinking it and, you know, scrolling the news or just sitting outside and watching the hummingbirds uh, if I feel so inclined. But I'm not as concerned about the perfection of the coffee at home. It's just not, that's not what it's there for, for me. I tend to go, if I'm ready to go and I really want to get that perfect cup of coffee, I'll go to one of the many great shops in my community and let them spend all the money on the nice espresso machine, you know, and, and, and that's just, that's just me. I have a, a very close friend who loves coffee, does his own roasting at home. And he has a really fancy espresso machine. I love going over there and having one, but I'm not going to do that. And part of that is, it relates back to a lot of the things we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. Uh, space and efficiency. I have a very small galley kitchen. There's only so much room for all this equipment. So size is important. So yeah, I would say that answers my question. I guess uh, I would kind of close out this episode by asking you if you were to kind of place a level of importance, if you can, on at-home equipment, which which things do you think it's more important to go for the thing that you know is is doing the most effective job? And which things do you think maybe you can you know, shuffle into the edges. If your goal is to create a high quality cup of coffee, I think the most important thing, most important thing I would encourage you to invest in is a grinder. Uh, that grind distribution, how the burrs are, you know, breaking up those beans, that's going to be, that's going to create the greatest impact on your overall cup and grinders get expensive really, really quick. And, um, I would encourage you to really take a look at what kind of budget you can swing because for the most part, you do get what you pay for. I think there's a lot of like theatrics and fantastical features and aesthetic that can really drive that price up. So looking at the core features and um, this might be even be another episode, but looking at like burr type and what the burr composition is like, these can all be things that you can kind of cut through the, um, it's not bullshit, but cut through all of like the, the, ribbons and, and beauty things and look at the core fundamentals. What this, what is this machine delivering? Um, okay, cool. Checks that box, checks that box. Great. May not be the prettiest to look at, but functionally this thing is sublime. After the grinder, I'd say the next important thing is going to be your water kettle. You know, looking at how is that going to be boiling your water? What kind of thermal stability can I expect out of this? I mean, hell, I mean, just to recap way back when I first started, I bought my first gooseneck kettle. It was a a Hario, you know, the generic, it was the most affordable one I could find. You, you boil it over a stove, but I had grabbed like a meat thermometer to try to check my water temperature. And I got it down to a science where I know if I got the water boiling, I'd pull it off, wait 30 seconds, swirl it for 45 seconds. And usually right around by that point, it was at the perfect, you know, pour over temperature for me. And so I was like, okay, cool. I'm okay with investing that much work into getting the water temperature just right. I still have my, my gooseneck, you know, poor capabilities. Great. Um, I'm all set. And now I'm just like, oh man, screw that. Like, I'm so happy to push that button, let it <laughs> heat up to temperature exactly where I need it. And I'm fine. But grinder first, water kettle second. As for scale, scales are cheap. You know, I honestly, I use a, a standard generic scale. You know, I think it measures to 0.1. You know, I have a couple weights that I can use to calibrate just to make sure it's staying true. But for me, I don't have a high value on like the scales that like auto start and have a built-in timer and can, 
you know, reset when I start pouring water in. These are really fun features. And if that's something that excites you, I'd say maybe that's something you invest in over a really nice kettle. But uh, for me, a simple scale does the trick. I've got my phone. I can start my timer manually. And then, you know, this, all of this could change or maybe not change depending on how you like to brew at home. You know, you said you have a regular standard kettle um, without a gooseneck. So, I mean, if, if your preferred choice in brewing is, is like a French press, you know, or like a, an arrow press, the gooseneck, it might be a little, you know, excessive. You know, you may not need like the, the pinpoint accuracy being able to put the water where you want to. Um, the standard kettle might work just fine. But if you like doing, you know, any number of the different pour over options that are out there, uh, that gooseneck might be of greater importance to you. After that, I would say probably your water quality is going to be another really big, big step. You know, I think if you're at home, hopefully you have access to good, clean drinking water and the rabbit hole goes as far down as you want to with water, because I mean, coffee is over 98% water and the chemistry going into the extraction of how those minerals interact with the extraction process is like still being discovered to this day. But the closer you can get to like reverse osmosis water generally puts you in the vein of water that is going to be best suited to the coffee you're trying to brew at home. Sure. Uh, actually, I had a really interesting comment on a recent uh, newsletter post in which I was talking about how the coffees that I was making at camp this summer, you know, weren't tasting as good as the ones I make at home with the better grinder. And somebody was like, well, hey, maybe remember that like your water could have been different in all these different places we were, uh, at which point I had to admit that I brought seven gallons of filtered water from home with me <laughs> on the trip so that the water would be the same every morning uh, because I'm a psychopath in, in some <laughs> some ways. When I'm at home, and this is just for anyone listening, I use water from the sink uh, out of the faucet, but we do filter it through a Brita filter. And I know that it's going to be roughly similar every time, but it does change when I have, like I recently bought a bag of coffee down in Encinitas, not from your shop, I apologize, but uh, a nearby shop. And I had a cup of coffee while I was there, the same beans, same batch, same everything. And it does taste different at home, but it is because I'm using different equipment. I am, their water is going to be filtered differently than mine. You know, my grinder is going to be a little bit different than theirs. All those little factors uh, will change, you know, ultimately the taste of your, your cup of coffee. And what I've learned from six seasons of the show is that there are so many fucking variables, Alden. <laughs> yeah. Like you could, you could spend your whole life perfecting something. And you know, if the humidity changes that day, it, it'll change. And change that's part of the joy as well is knowing and uh, being able to uh, accommodate. And that's where I think uh, operators and roasters um, like you and some of our other great guests show real, real skill and real talent is you're not only learning the mechanics of how to do something, you're learning how to adjust in the moment. And that I think for anyone listening, who's maybe looking at opening a cafe or has thought about that, I think everyone in the world has told me at some point that they want to open a bar or a coffee shop. I mean, that's just, I think a natural thing. People love that community. These are all that, that's what separates, you know, making my coffee at home from being able to do it, you know, professionally is it's not just the mechanics, it's the knowing how to adjust on the fly in the moment while, you know, the bathroom is flooding. Yeah. Practice makes perfect. And then once you get perfect, perfect practice keeps perfect in practice. 
Um, <laughs> the rabbit hole goes as far down as you want to go. It's like the more attuned we get to the different variables, suddenly it's like a whole new world and all these micro variables affect the larger variables. And then you're constantly in the chase. So it's constantly like a puzzle, constantly like a Rubik's cube turning over, seeing what else is going to pop up. And yeah, sometimes the bathroom floods, sometimes the power goes out, sometimes uh, you know, just like who knows what happens. And so there's kind of like a thrill in like the dynamicism of your day. You know what? It, you, you get through it. The day passes, you get through it, you're fine. And uh, you live to see another day in the thrill of the chase. You live to brew another cup of coffee. Before I let you go, one, thank you for coming back on the show and spending uh, your very valuable time with me. But two, uh, I know that you are making coffee uh, for yourself and tasting coffee for the shops and everything. Is there anything that you're excited about right now or that you've been really enjoying, especially with Crossings Coffee, um, which, uh, if I'm not mistaken, CrossingsCoffee.com or is it CrossingsCoffeeRoasters.com? CrossingsCoffee.com or even Crossings.coffee. Perfect. I mean, is there anything that you've been trying lately that you're like, man, this is... I'm pretty pumped about this. I'm excited to share it. Yes. And um, still hashing out a few details. So before I get ahead of myself and and promise something I can't deliver, um, I encourage you all to stay tuned. Follow us on Instagram. Visit the website. I will post and scream from the rooftops once it's ready. <laughs> but yes, we've got a, a number of really exciting things in the pipeline. I'm so excited to share with everyone. Uh, well, I will link to those as well, and uh, I'll look for your text to give me a heads up so I can get it first <laughs> before everyone else. Of Alden, thank you for coming back and being on the show, for helping us get coffee smarter, and just for that wonderful deep voice that you're sharing with all of us. Mm, thank you for having me, Ryan. So good to see you. <laughs> that was that was such a pornographic. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, life is so fun okay to recap the rabbit hole goes down as far as you want it to go that is as much a carrot as it is a stick it can be hard to stop researching and improving your coffee gear once you've started it's important to do a self-assessment to determine which parts of the experience of making coffee make you happy. Are you concerned only about quality, only about your user experience, or automation, or design? Which combination of those things are important to you? How are you prioritizing your gear needs, and what is the budget that you're working within? In a commercial setting, automation can help free up baristas to be more efficient by enabling what Alden refers to as stacking workflow. At home, you can be less concerned about automation if you'd rather be more hands-on or budget-friendly. For the more heavily used equipment in your arsenal, don't forget to research the maintenance involved and what repairs might cost should they be needed. I'd say that goes double for espresso machines. An easy way to not only save money but improve your cup of coffee is to measure your grinds. Scales that measure to the gram are often cheap and available. The one I've been using for over a year cost me about 15 bucks, and short of the battery needing to be replaced, or dumping a cup of coffee on it, it should last quite a while. By measuring my coffee grounds and my water, I'm making a more efficient cup of coffee that will actually taste better and be less wasteful. Filtering your water can also improve the flavor profile of your coffee. 
A simple Brita style filter can help create an added consistency and remove some of the less enjoyable minerals that impact your cup of coffee. You can of course take that even further by employing better filters or starting with distilled water and adding a packet of coffee specific minerals. That isn't as important to me, so I don't do that at home, but if you're someone who it does matter to, feel free to invite me over sometime. As far as at-home equipment, the grinder is one of the most important things to invest in to ensure a better cup of coffee. I'll link to a deep dive we did on grinders with Chris O'Brien of Coffee Cycle Roasting way back in the early days of this show in this episode's newsletter on RoastWestCoast.com. And finally, we have a new vocab word today. Thermostability, which in this case refers to the condition of being thermostable, meaning your water kettle is physically or chemically unaffected by a high temperature. That's it for this week's episode of the show. If you have thoughts, questions, or ideas for a future Coffee Smarter episode, please send them to me on Instagram, at RoastWestCoast, or head to RoastWestCoast.com and leave a comment on any of the newsletter posts. While you're there, subscribe. This is a listener and reader-supported show and your subscriptions help us continue to grow and improve this program. Some of our listeners and guests have become roast industry partners. Café La Terre is one of them. As are Coffee Cycle Roasting, Ignite Coffee Company, First Light Whiskey, Maria Coffee, Ascend Coffee Roasters, Cape Horn Coffee Importers, Camp Coffee Company, and Steady State Coffee Roasting. Thank you all for listening and supporting this show. I'll be back next week with an interview with Andrew Scott, the founder and head roaster of Inflection Point Coffee which he runs out of his garage in San Diego. It is a great conversation, so be sure to follow this show on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss it. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope this episode has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity to make it through the day. Always tip your baristas, and be sure to drink good coffee.